This is Quotations, a podcast about words, written and spoken throughout history. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, we shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. No matter where you're from, your dreams are valid. The Pale Blue Dot, the only home we've ever known. Hello and welcome to Quotations. I'm Matthew Monroe. A brief administrative note before we get started today. I neglected to mention in episode 100, as a commemoration of the 100th episode, there is a small and stocked with a single item store now available on the Quotations website. The item that's available for sale is a small 4x4-inch sticker. If you should choose to do so, please visit the website. I'll post a link with the show notes for today on the page to take you to the new store on the website, and you can purchase a sticker there. Feel free to stick it on your computer, stick it on a water bottle, buy a couple, share one with a friend, anything to say thank you again to you listeners for everything that you've done, and to hopefully bring in more who can experience what we have, which is very exciting going forward. Now, on to today's quote. Quote, There is the greatest difference between presuming an opinion to be true, because, with every opportunity for contesting it, it has not been refuted and assuming its truth for the purpose of not permitting its refutation. Complete liberty of contradicting and disproving our opinion is the very condition which justifies us in assuming its truth for purposes of action. And on no other terms can a being with human faculties have any rational assurance of being right. End quote. Those are the words of philosopher, author, and member of Parliament John Stuart Mill. Note, it's John Stuart Mill, not Mills, as I incorrectly thought. Now, John Stuart Mill was born May 20th, 1806, in Pentonville, Middlesex, England. He died May 7th, 1873, in Avignon, France. Mill was homeschooled by his father, James Mill, and his father explicitly stated that his goal was to produce a genius intellect in his son and he instilled at a very early age and consistently the idea of what is known as utilitarianism, which is probably worthy of a brief moment of our consideration here. Utilitarianism is an ethical theory which states that maximum happiness and well-being for all those affected individuals is the ultimate goal. So essentially it aims to consider that all humans are equal and base our ethical decision-making around doing the most possible good. Right? Sounds awesome, right? And of course it is, but it's far more complicated than I just described it, and as do most ethical theories, likely warrants its own show with someone far more knowledgeable on it than I am. But for all intents and purposes, when I mention utilitarianism, and if you want to attribute one thing to John Stuart Mill, aside from today's quote, it's that he had utilitarian ideas, and that the goal of a utilitarian is to maximize the amount of good for all parties involved. Now, all of that said, ethical theories are a topic which I find extremely fascinating. In another life, maybe I would pursue a degree in, in ethics. But how and why we do, or how and why we do what we do, or don't do what we don't do, is interesting to me. And it's a not infrequent topic of my random wandering thoughts and musings. However, as this show is about quotations and not about my ethical musings, 
we will take the top line description of, again, quote, maximize happiness and well-being for all affected individuals, end quote, as our working definition for Mill's utilitarianism. So Mill, as you would expect, was deeply contemplative. He thought extensively on a variety of topics of great and even existential importance, and did so at depth. And while this sounds noble and fulfilling, it nearly led him to end his own life at just 20 years of age when he considered his goals in life and whether they would make him happy. And in thinking about that, he determined that no, his goals in life would not make him happy and spent a portion of that year wondering, as we all have at some point, whether it was all worth it. And thankfully, as you know, it was, and he went on to marry and act as a colonial administrator in India, because again, we're talking about the 19th century here, mid-19th century, when India is still a British colony. And he went on further then to publish the work in review of today's episode, which was called On Liberty, which he published in 1859. On Liberty outlines Mill's thoughts on liberty through a utilitarian lens. He first defines liberty, as you would need to do. He bemoans tyrannical behavior. And he speaks at length about how tyranny manifest in both government and, quote, prevailing opinions and feelings can be damaging. Mill coins the phrase tyranny of the majority. The idea that even a majority, believing they are correct, can still exercise tyrannical behavior over the minority. And I'm certain he was looking from abroad, from England and also from India, at America at the time, which was relatively new in its infancy, and wondering how it would shake out. And Mill in the book, outlines his top three basic liberties in order of importance. And those liberties are the freedom of thought and emotion, which is analogous to the American freedom of speech, the freedom to pursue tastes, provided, of course, that those tastes do not do harm to others, and the freedom to unite. By this, by unite, he means in a romantic sense, I believe. And this, the caveat here is that as long as the members are of age, that they are not forced, and again, that no harm is done. And we won't spend a lot of time on that third one. It's a complex topic and really not something that I want to dig into here on the show. But what we can learn from those is that it is, it, it's fairly easy to see that he's often touted as a libertarian, right, on the political spectrum, and that may in fact actually be correct, although I don't know that libertarian was a term that was around in the mid or mid-19th century, rather. But he was a very much live and let live kind of guy, even if that is probably an oversimplification, which I'm sure it is. But in chapter two of the book, which is titled Of the Liberty of Thought and Discussion, we find today's quote. And a side note here, the entire book is available in PDF form for free via Google Books, if you're so inclined. There's nothing illegal about it. It is a work of history and Google has converted a number of those books into PDFs. Now, it's not clean and pretty, something that you would necessarily have all the functionality of a, of a Kindle or something like that in terms of defining words and what have you, but it's available for free, so you can go and take a look. And I will post a link on the webpage so that you can download it to your device. In the chapter, Mill is exploring the nature of opinion. Opinions, as you are aware, are ubiquitous. They permeate every single facet of human existence, and each of us has a unique set. They're unique only to us, and they are always, both previously, currently, and in the future, 
shaping and molding us, and we are shaping and molding them by our own individual experiences and learnings, in whatever form those may take. You are formulating opinions and learnings from today's podcast that you will take that will make your opinions of the world different in the future than they were before this podcast. And a set of opinions as un- is as unique as an individual's DNA. And we believe, to a greater or lesser degree, every one of them that we hold, every opinion that we hold, we believe to a greater or lesser degree. Otherwise, we wouldn't hold them. If you don't believe an opinion to be true, why would you? And as Mill states so eloquently, leading up to today's quote, he says, quote, There is no such thing as absolute certainty, but there is assurance sufficient for the purposes of human life. We may and must assume our opinion to be true for the guidance of our own conduct. End quote. And this is an eloquent way of saying, we do what we do because we believe why we are doing it is right. Right? A very basic and simple statement. We do what we do because we believe that why we are doing it is right. And there is an important truth buried in there that we need to spend a moment on lest we assume ourselves to be creatures of absolute perfection. So bear with me for a moment here. The important thing for us to look at here is the frame of reference of the word right. Because it can lead us to very wrong behaviors. Right? In no particular order, nor given any justification to any of these, I assure you, consider the following. The spouse who physically abuses their spouse mentally, emotionally, or physically, is doubtlessly doing so because they believe something about their behavior is, quote, right. Adolf Hitler certainly believed that the mass extermination of an entire people group was right based on his opinions. Politicians have and will continue to trumpet positions on topics that they don't themselves practice or actually believe, but are, quote, right because of their opinions on how to maintain and grow their power, etc., 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 And each of those examples, viewed through a different frame, again, perhaps social, historical, or moral, whatever your your choice may be, can give a vastly different definition of right, and thus a vastly different set of actions in response. Mill's point holds that we assume our opinions are right. We must assume our opinions are right in a given frame of reference, that's that's the caveat here, to guide our conduct. And, of course, Mill rightly follows the quote that I just read for you with the statement of today's quote, which is, in a way, the test of rightness of an opinion, lest we be led astray by our own self-interests. So, again, Mill says, quote, There is the greatest difference between presuming an opinion to be true, because with every opportunity for contesting it, it has not been refuted, and assuming its truth for the purpose of not permitting its refutation. Complete liberty of contradicting and disproving our opinion is the very condition which justifies us in assuming its truth for purposes of action, and on no other terms can a being with human faculties have any rational assurance of being right. End quote. Brilliant, right? On one hand, Mill says that we do what we do because we believe we are right in doing it. And then he follows that with, in a very philosophical or philosopher's way of saying it, but... Just because you believe it's right, just because you hold it as an opinion, doesn't actually make it right. And here's the test. Here's how to find out. Here's how to find out if the opinion that you're holding and using as justification for a certain action because you believe it to be right is actually, in fact, right. And now you can see why this jumped off the page at me. 
right? In this statement, Mill cautions us to avoid falling in love with our own opinions and isolating them, protecting them from criticism, either our own internal criticism or the external criticism of others. If you read his words and you listen to what he's saying there, what he's, what he's demanding that we do in order to assure the rightness that we must assume of our opinions is that they must be tested. Our opinions have to be put to the test. They have to be put under the spotlight, under the magnifying glass of our own thoughts, first and foremost, but also of the thoughts of others. And we've talked about this in the past of who is your trusted counsel? Who are those to whom you can go for an honest assessment of your actions, behaviors, thoughts, and opinions? That's what we need, right? And sometimes you need perspective from people who maybe aren't the most. Um, they don't fall in that trusted advisor circle. Sometimes those are valuable to have as well, because sometimes without even realizing it, your trusted circle of advisors can lead you astray as well. They can also be wrong. But with each opportunity for your opinions or ideas to be tested that you create, you increase the likelihood that your opinion or thought is correct. If it's not refuted, if you present it, if you lay it out there and it doesn't come under heavy criticism, heavy scrutiny, with people saying, ah, I'm, I'm not sure that's correct, or that's a, pretty, uh, that's a pretty strange way to think about that. You may not be wrong, but each time you do that, if your constant feedback is, yeah, it sounds about right to me, or I may not agree with you, but it's a fair opinion, then you have reason to suspect that your opinion, you're at least on the right track. You can spend an entire lifetime tracking down the perfect thought, the perfect opinion, and many people do. And you'll never find it. But you can grow more and more confident the more your thought or idea or opinion is tested. And that's what Mill's saying here. And Mill, being a very smart man, indeed goes further in today's quote to say that the complete liberty to contradict and disprove our opinions is the justification for us to trust it, to be true enough to act on it. And the important words that I that I underline in my notes here are the word complete, right? Complete liberty to contradict and disprove. That doesn't mean taking it to your group of like-minded friends and saying, I had this thought and we should all agree on it. Don't you agree with me? And receiving agreement, then believe that your opinion is rock solid fact. So read, reading this another way, if we do not allow our opinions to be scrutinized, tested, contested and tried in our own and others courts of evidence then we ought not to trust them to guide our actions and this is one of the reason why siloed echo chambers are so dangerous the types that can be found in our friend groups our social media groups our work relationships or even sometimes our romantic relationships they are actually in in my assessment a dual threat the first threat is that our opinions are not likely to be robustly challenged or potentially challenged at all by non-critical people who just agree with us, right? If you are, I'm going to pick a side here. If you are a conservative-leaning individual and you have a bunch of conservative friends and you bring to them a conservative idea or thought, it is highly likely that you are going to receive widespread agreement with that thought or opinion. That does not mean that that thought or opinion is actually correct because you have only exposed it to a very small sliver of the assessors, the testers that are out there of that opinion. 
So too applies to the, to the liberal leaning side of things. If you're talking about politics, if you're talking about finances, there are folks who will agree with you on a specific financial stance. If you're talking about academic research, there's folks that will agree with you on that. Pick an area. The point here is that if you take it to a group of like-minded individuals, are you really likely to receive a robust challenge to that idea? I submit, and I suppose Mill would submit, and he's not here to defend himself, that you will not. You will not receive a robust challenge to that. You will not receive somebody who seeks to refute that challenge. You're likely to receive passive consent. And the second damaging thing about these siloed echo chambers is that our untested and potentially wildly incorrect opinions can be unduly reinforced by the illusion of majority support. The idea that, well, clearly many people hold this opinion, therefore it must be true is precisely the type of infuriating behavior that we see all around us all the time, as of late. That is, I took it to my group of like-minded people, my siloed echo chamber, exposed it to no critical thought, exposed it to no critical criticism, and found that many people agree with me. Therefore, I make a reasonable assessment that I am, in fact, correct. And now, as Mill says, we use our opinions of reasonable assurance to base our actions upon. So now you've taken an opinion that you haven't tested and you've acted upon it incorrectly based on an overemphasized self-assurance reinforced by those who refused to or were unable to challenge that opinion before you took action on it. And we must be better than this. You wouldn't be here if you didn't want to be better. I wouldn't be here if I didn't want to be better. But it takes effort to be better. And it applies to every single person, and we're all guilty of it, especially me. So as usual, we leave with a challenge, right? Brought to us by the words of John Stuart Mill more than 150 years ago, that we must challenge not once, but constantly from many and varied sources, our own opinions that we must be cautious in pursuing actions, especially large and significant ones, based on untested opinions. And, dare I say, test others' opinions. Not for the gotcha points, right? But so that their actions, informed by those opinions, can and will be better. This takes practice. Testing another's opinion so as not to arouse defensiveness and cause someone to shut down takes effort. And as always, we could spend a lifetime pursuing this to perfection and still fail. But I'd argue that it's worth it to take one single better action based on a better opinion than it is to not do this. So let's, as we leave today, all endeavor to do exactly that. Seek out constant, from many and varied sources, challenges to our opinions. We will all be better for that. Until next time, I'm Matthew Monroe. This is Quotations, and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app or visit me at quotationspod.com to download and listen. Please also take a moment to recommend the podcast to a friend. That's a huge help. You can tweet at me at quotationspod. Send me an email to quotationspod at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at quotationspod or join the conversation on Facebook at quotationspod. I look forward to hearing from you, welcome your feedback, and thanks as always for listening.